0: Welcome to SRG Offscript, the podcast where experts at Succession Resource Group unpack the latest industry trends, recommendations, and observations for independent advisors managing their practice, no fluff, and a little entertainment. In each episode, we'll discuss ways in which you can understand and leverage the value of your business, grow your business through M&A, but also through an optimized organizational structure, improve and protect your business to create a sustainable enterprise that can hopefully outlast you. And lastly, preparing for your eventual retirement and how to maximize that result. So we encourage you to listen in with whatever beverage suits your preference, and let's get to the forefront of industry trends with a fresh perspective to help you achieve your business goals. With me today is Julia Sexton, the Director of Strategic Organizational Planning at Succession Resource Group. That is a mouthful uh, and I can tell you it is a kind of big and broad subject that frankly, when you hear the term strategic organizational planning, most folks wouldn't necessarily know what that is exactly, but I would tell you it is, it's a cornerstone of the work that we do here at Succession Resource Group uh, in, in a variety of different ways and capacities. So I will kick things off here by letting Julia do a brief introduction of herself as well as talking about what exactly organizational planning is in the world of SRG. Julia, all yours.
1: Thanks, Dave. Being SRG's director of strategic organizational planning means that I lead the contingency employment and equity programs here at SRG. So really, I work with advisors and business owners to deliver individually crafted employee and owner compensation plans, help them determine the best structure for rewarding employees through equity, that supports the business's long-term business and succession goals and help the business owners protect the value that they've built through contingency planning.
0: Wonderful, love it. And I would say in general, you know this better than most, but even for our listeners as fellow business owners and advisors, I mean, employees are the core to scaling any business, certainly a professional service business. So it requires human capital. To Julia's point, it's then about leveraging the compensation plan, the employment contracts, equity sharing, and even to her point, the contingency, you know, on the back end of all of this just in case, to make sure that the business is is protected and that it's heading in the right direction with human capital the war on talent i mean it's it's increasingly challenging to scale a business in this industry to find good talent to train that talent to keep that talent is it's not easy and frankly for anybody who's been through hiring in the last you know 5 months 5 years you have to wonder sometimes how unemployment rates aren't even higher it's it's hard to find good talent in general let alone all the lovely nuances of this industry so when i think about succession planning which obviously succession resource group. Succession planning is a big part of what we do. In my mind, the seat that I sit in, succession planning is just a nice way of talking about building a sustainable enterprise, which again goes back to being able to scale the business, have team members involved who are hopefully helping you someday take your foot off the gas and have the car not slow down. So again that goes back to we we need people, we need the right people in the right seats at the right time, which is never easy. But frankly, it's made even more challenging. If you spend time, effort, money finding talent, training talent only to have them, you know, leave and pursue another career path or go and work for another firm, So it is definitely an important component of any of our businesses. It can be the most important part of you being successful or the bane of your existence, depending on which day I ask you on it. So Julie, let's talk more about some of the specific things that you're seeing now around compensation plan design, employment contracts, equity sharing. For me, again, different parts of the same thing, that career path for advisors and their team members. And I love looking at the stuff you do on, let's say the employment contracts, some of the language in there around restrictive covenants, which you can unpack more, which I would generally kind of refer to as the stick. But even more important is the compensation plan design, which then eventually uh, hypothetically leads to the equity component and equity stuff that you deal with. So we talk a lot about, you know, the carrot and the stick and the power of having both of those things. But do you want to just maybe start out by sort of unpacking what each of those things are, you know, the carrot and the stick in the toolbox that you use?
1: Yeah, absolutely, Dave. It's essential in today's competitive employment environment to recruit, train, and as you just mentioned, retain that key talent. One of the misconceptions about equity sharing is that it is only for succession planning, when in fact, equity sharing and more specifically, sharing phantom equity is a really great retention tool and a key piece in building a truly competitive compensation plan. The carrot and stick analogy is applicable to equity sharing in the following way. And I'll use an example here. Let's say that you have a really fantastic advisor on your team. Who's putting in the hard work, the dedication, contributing to the AUM growth of your business, or, helping to serve AUM in a meaningful way, and maybe even showing really great potential for a future leadership role. But this is an example of a key employee or key talent that you definitely want to keep around. You've rewarded them maybe through promotions and therefore salary increases or additional bonuses based on their production goals that you've set for them, but you want to share more. You want to dangle those golden handcuffs that we're all familiar with in terms of that terminology in the industry, or in this instance, the carrot, if you will. So phantom equity plans allow you to share a small percentage of the company's value with your highly compensated and high performing employees as an extraordinary recognition and reward for their performance. Therefore, you're you're allowing them to reap the benefits of the hard work and dedication that they've committed to your business and the growth that they've contributed in a more meaningful way through sharing value. Phantom equity plans are a great tool to build, as you just mentioned, Dave, into your, your toolbox, and that being your compensation toolbox, um, into your career path plan. So in terms of how you communicate those plans with your employees if they're performing well in a calendar year, for example, they, they hit some of those AUM or revenue performance goals. In addition to your traditional bonuses that yes, are paid out essentially as cash, you might wanna grant them and communicate the opportunity to grant them a handful of phantom equity units that will increase in value as your company value increases. If they don't hit those certain performance measures, then they don't receive those phantom equity awards in that year, for example. I'll use another example quickly that maybe you have an advisor that you would really like for them to get their CFP as soon as possible. Communicate this opportunity with them or this goal with them. And if if they achieve that CFP designation within the next year, you'll share a piece of the company's value with them. Subject to vesting, of course. But it's an award that will likely continue to grow beyond the year that it's given. So that's really that carrot opportunity and stick in terms of an opportunity that's no longer given because they haven't met those goals yet. So it's something to to keep them driving fast and forward towards.
0: Well, there's two things you mentioned there. One, I will reiterate because I think it's just so important. I'm glad you brought it up. The other, I'll give you the primer since you know I'm coming back to you with it. You mentioned the term golden handcuffs, and I'd love for you to unpack that one. So that's your primer. The other thing you had said that I just want to comment on is the bifurcation of the idea of equity sharing and succession planning kind of being the same thing. And to your point, they- I don't want to say they aren't because they could be hypothetically, but in general, they they have nothing to do with one another. Yes, if you do equity sharing, there's a good chance that's probably going to help facilitate succession planning later and easier. But we got a lot of folks – I mean, I've been on an occasional call with you, Julia, where you've got clients on who are 40, 45, 50. I mean, that is – that's young, certainly for our industry. And when they're talking about creating these equity sharing plans, golden handcuffs for their team, which I'll again come back to you on, they, they have no expectation, not even thinking about retirement. I mean, yeah, granted, they're you know, retirement planners by nature and by trade, but they're not doing the equity sharing for the purposes of facilitating succession. It will happen at some point, maybe with these people, but frankly, equity sharing as a compensation tool is, it's a really nice non-cash compensation tool to really help attract the right people, keep the right people. So I, I love that you split that topic up because it's kind of like, I mean, the other thing you work on, contingency and succession and splitting those two out. You know, One tackles death and disability, one tackles retirement. You could deal with both in one plan, but in general, it's best to separate the two out. And I, I point it out because, frankly, I think there are a lot of folks who, when they hear equity sharing, they think succession. They think I'm not ready to retire. Therefore, you know, I'll flag that and come back to it later. When mm-hmm. in reality, I mean, number one, succession planning, in my eyes, is a mindset, not an activity. Something you do the entire time you run your business. Two. Equity sharing is just a really, really useful tool to fold into your career paths, which is something I know you work on, Julie, a lot. So I I think it is important to make sure that equity sharing in some way, shape, or form is in the back of your mind, especially as your team grows, as your team wants and expects a bit of a career path. Big firm, small firm, we still need career paths. Uh, And then the other one, like I had mentioned earlier, is the golden handcuffs. That term gets tossed around a lot. And I, feel like having sat in on phone calls occasionally and heard you say it, the clients nod their head, but I think they nod their head as in like, yeah, I'm familiar with that term, but they don't really know what you mean until you get into the contracts later. And then they see what you mean when you say golden handcuffs. In your mind, the work you're doing with clients, where does the golden handcuffs come in? Like, what What is it exactly?
1: Golden handcuff terminology is really that retention tool perspective of an equity sharing opportunity or a plan that you put in place, meaning truthfully, those golden handcuffs you're offering in a sense or putting on your employee is what I just described as that carrot. It's the opportunity to receive additional compensation when you really look at what it comes down to. um, And they've received that additional compensation through quite literally sticking around seeing the value grow of the company and the additional then award that they would receive as a result of the increase in value. So not only do they have the incentive to quite literally stay employed by your firm, but also <laughs> to increase, help increase the value of the firm in a more meaningful way, because yes, that's great for the company, but that's also now directly impacting them and their compensation.
0: And how in your mind, I mean, again, golden handcuffs, equity sharing, especially you talked about like phantom equity, it's it's kind of intangible. Like when you pay an employee every two weeks or you pay them a quarterly or annual bonus, that is pretty tangible. But phantom equity and equity sharing is slightly less tangible as in like, they can't go deposit it necessarily, at least not right now. So I'll have you explain you know, more on what you're seeing in the way of equity sharing plans, but thoughts, recommendations, like how are you helping clients right now make these kind of intangible parts of a compensation plan a little bit more tangible and, and matter to the staff? Any best practices, recommendations you're providing?
1: Yeah. So just first best practice, I would say, and something that is easily forgotten when these types of plans are not only set up, but then implemented with existing staff is essentially reminding the staff of this award. So it's very easy to introduce this, talk to those employees that you're offering this to about how, how great this is ultimately, and how they're now going to have this additional award that of course we'll pay out later and I can talk about what that later really means and how <laughs> you can determine what later means but ultimately it's it's easy to introduce it talk about it get the participant excited about this opportunity and then kind of forget about it because it is a, attached to vesting criteria meaning it's not a cash award to your point that that's paid out within that same year like a traditional bonus so, first step I would say is is really keeping up to date with reminding the participants of this plan, therefore stay up to date with communicating company value. That means that you yourself as a business owner need to stay up to date with what the company value is right. We can talk about the you know the different types of plans and how you share pieces of that larger pie being the total value of the business, but you're ultimately, whichever specific structure of a plan you choose, sharing a percentage of the value. So if we're starting out day one with this award, and it might be 10 years before uh, this type of compensation pays out to the employee, ultimately, you don't want to let this sit and not be discussed again for another 10 years, because then that's not really solving one, any retention concerns that you may have, or ultimately, it's not... Communicating to your employee that this is a really great benefit. So, remind them on an annual basis how this is growing, what their potential award is growing to to keep them excited and, again, back to that golden handcuffs, keep them around so that they can realize those benefits.
0: Yeah, no, 100%. And again, you think about putting together these plans, and then you've got folks who maybe they don't do evaluation every year, they don't do evaluation, but for every couple of years, it gets really easy for something that is, in theory, I mean, it's got a lot of value that can accrue depending on how the plan is set up, how successful a firm is. But if they're not actively sharing, to your point, what their accrued equity looks like, having that sort of, you know, can't see my hands, but the quote unquote, you know, shareholder meeting once a year, all of a sudden it is intangible and it stays kind of intangible, then you just don't get the benefit of what you were expecting here. And the whole goal is frankly to get your employees, team members thinking and acting more like owners. Well, then help them track their share price. That's, and frankly, it's not expensive at this point to go through and track your value on an annual basis. So it's, it's a good practice to do regardless. But yeah, to your point, it's a really good way to make an otherwise intangible plan that will result in, in theory, money being paid out at some future date. Kind of keep their finger on the pulse of this stuff at least once a year. Let's just run a quick hypothetical. So let's say I'm, I'm an advisor listening to this podcast. Obviously in interested in some kind of equity share, maybe at some point, but I got great people on my team. I just don't know about giving up ownership and having partners. Like a lot of folks listening have had partners or they know somebody who's had partners. And it's kind of like knowing somebody who's been, you know, married and divorced. Like it's it's enough to scare you away sometimes, given that your business is kind of your most valuable asset in many cases. So in that use case, great team, good team members like the idea of equity sharing, but I don't want partners. I don't want to give up ownership. I don't want to share my financials. Where would you tell them to start? Anything they should just be reframing or approaches you would recommend?
1: Yeah, absolutely. A great place to start if you're in a position where, like you said, either you're just not really ready to cross that bridge or maybe you don't have any talent that you're willing to have that conversation with at this time you can still share equity. My suggestion would be to share uh, equity through a long-term incentive plan. So again, building into your career paths as a a way to incentivize your employees to hit new targets and goals, achieve new designations, uh, get some continuing education or achieve a combination of these goals to be promoted to the next level. The point is setting goals is always going to be step one. But two, even if you're not really ready to share either real equity or you don't necessarily have uh, any advisors or staff on your team that you really think are ready to enter the ownership pool, there's still great options in terms of setting those goals and sharing phantom equity with these individuals to, again, serve really as that carrot to get them thinking, and in some ways, acting in more of an ownership role. So back to my earlier point in terms of giving them a piece of the pie in terms of the value of the company will inherently or should inherently get them thinking about how they can better influence the success of the company and how to help increase the value of the company. So again, phantom plans, profit-sharing plans, they're not real equity. They're not sharing the decision-making power. You're not even necessarily sharing a a seat, quote-unquote, at the table. However, you're sharing, at the end of the day, compensation with them, but that tracks in a more meaningful way.
0: Which is a good segue into starting to unpack the topic of phantom equity, because it it's a concept that I know most of you listening conceptually understand. But at the same time, when you start peeling the onion back, there's not just one flavor of phantom equity plans. So I'm thinking, Julia, maybe we can spend a few minutes just talking about maybe the most common types of phantom equity plans that we're using now. If you have a favorite or a favorite in particular use cases, I'd love to hear it. But I think in general, the two most common that we can spend some time talking about is gonna be the appreciation rights as opposed to liquidation rights. Is that a fair place to start and jump off from?
1: Yeah, you're exactly correct, Dave. I've worked with a lot of business owners as of recent when building long-term incentive plans that have chosen, um, if you ask for a favorite, a fan favorite right now, would be the appreciated value plan The main difference, just to to share a quick explanation between the two that you just described, um, the appreciation plan essentially is truly just that. The value that's calculated is based on setting a start date or a start value in this instance for the calculation of the award. You apply vesting criteria in either plan, but I'll stick with my appreciation example at the (laughs) moment. There's vesting requirements. Let's use the example that 10 years down the road, now based on the requirements, these units in this plan have vested. Now you have the starting value 10 years ago, the current value. Once those units are vested, you essentially just calculate the difference in value. Now you're sharing a percentage of value increase only. Versus the liquidation rights plan, um, as the other option you described that we see commonly, is quite literally calculating a percentage of the company value. The primary difference between these two options is the kind of value that the employee has on day one. On day one under an appreciation rights plan, there technically is no value because you're establishing what the company value is with the assumption that you are then going to calculate the increase in value. So there hasn't been an increase in value on day one. Under a liquidation rights plan where you're sharing a direct percentage or calculation of the total value, there's value on day one. There's a list of reasons I would say in terms of how you decide which plan is the right plan for you, but oftentimes it really comes down to either what your long-term plan is, what you're trying to achieve or reward, Meaning if you want to, again, incentivize some of those growth opportunities and growth setting goals based on individual performance, as well as, of course, the company performance, that's a great reason just as an example to implement an appreciation rights plan where now you're actually tracking the employee's influence or contribution to growth over a specific period of time versus maybe you have an employee that's been with you 15 plus years you really want to compensate them and reward them above and beyond just a cash bonus that's really hard to tie to their contribution. Therefore, what you can do or how you might approach that is sharing a a small percentage of the company value that, again, has value on day one because you're rewarding them for their past performance and contributions.
0: Well, it's a good distinction there because, yeah, as I've described these things when it has come up in conversations, the liquidation rights plan is really nice because it's, I mean, it's simple. Like it took you all of five seconds to describe how value was calculated or attributed. It's it's a percentage of the entire enterprise. So it's pretty easy to track. You made the appreciation rights sound deceptively simple. And it is if they do it at one time, reestablish the base value. And then it's obviously the appreciation beyond that. Where your very helpful spreadsheets come into play is then when you do that again for the same person a year or two later because they continue to contribute to the firm and we give them another grant of appreciation rights with a new base value and making sure that you're able to track those things, track that accrued liability over time. Project it out to calibrate it and make sure that you know if you hit your growth goals did you give away too much equity not in that not enough equity where it really doesn't even matter doesn't move the needle because again you want to be generous but you don't want to be too generous giving away all of your growth where then you have no incentive so I love that you bifurcate those two and that you pointed out there at the end that liquidation rights is it's kind of it's retroactive like it's for past activity you did x therefore I give you y. And you can set those metrics up ahead of time so that they know if they accomplish this, then I'll give you the liquidation rights. But to your point, Julie, it has value on day one, as opposed to those appreciation rights, which are generally more kind of forward-looking. Obviously, it's all about the appreciation, which means then it's a reward for future activity to try to incentivize certain behaviors. So I know I've seen that liquidation rights used a lot when you've got folks who they've come over, they've, they've gone above and beyond. Like they've done a great job doing their job, but then they do stuff well outside the general definition of what you would say it is to be successful in that role, then liquidation rights can be a really, really great tool. But in both cases, you talked about you know vesting. And I, I know having seen you set these plans up, having talked to folks who have done this. Vesting is actually a surprisingly useful and powerful tool, both for the employee participant, but also for the business owner. So I guess two-parter here, and I'll tackle it in separate parts. Number one, why does vesting matter so much to each of those two parties? And then the second part that we can come back to is... Like what? What is typical vesting criteria? Like what does it look like? What's on the menu of options? So let's come back to that one. But to start with, why does vesting matter to the employee to the employer?
1: The easy answer there, in terms of why vesting matters, is <laughs> honestly in in the name. This is a long term incentive plan. If you are going to compensate <laughs> them immediately, you're probably just going to bonus them based on performance in that given year. So I know that was that was really a gimme answer. However, <laughs> <laughs> vesting is is also important from the company's perspective because now you are sharing a more significant award or reward this is a piece of your largest asset as a business owner you're sharing a piece of the value that should not be taken lightly from the employee's perspective but it also shouldn't be taken lightly from your perspective as the business owner that's that's willing to share this with that being said You want to make sure that this is reaping the benefits. So, you do want to see the company value increase. You do want to see essentially how this plays out, how your employee reacts and acts in response to this opportunity that you're presenting. So, by attaching vesting, which can range significantly in terms of how long, how much time goes by between the granting event and when that does fully vest which I know we'll get to some of those examples in a mm-hmm. second. But really the idea is that it, it's almost, I don't want to call it a test run, but it's before you pay out this large award, you're, you really get to see how they might influence the company value because I'll use the appreciation rights example again uh, in terms of rewarding for future behavior or, or ultimately incentivizing good behavior moving forward and in strong growth If there isn't growth, there isn't as large of a reward. So back to incentivizing those behaviors, you get to not only see the success or the added success to your business, you as a business owner, but then you do feel good at the end of the day about paying out this extraordinary reward for going above and beyond because now you have seen that this employee has done as you hoped and and gets to reap those benefits.
0: Well, and the other part I'm thinking of is then also the taxation of this. And if I'm the employee, and let's say you gave me appreciation rights, Julia, and the company has done very, very well. We use the spreadsheet. we're tracking, and I've accrued you know fifty, sixty thousand dollars worth of you know accrued phantom equity in this appreciation rights plan. If we don't control the the vesting criteria, then if it vests early, it's great. It's a very liquid plan. Now I've got the benefit, and I could go take advantage of it. The downside is if it vests too early, if it vests too easily, as soon as it vests, then all of a sudden, we don't have that risk of forfeiture. And I could very easily as the employee find myself with you know non-cash compensation generating a pretty large tax liability. So I think selfishly as the employer, yeah, you like vesting because to your point, it's a long-term incentive plan. Like we'd like to keep these people here, hence the golden handcuffs analogy, But it's not only good for the employer. I'm thinking about the employee side too. Like, sure, would I like it to vest and have access to it whenever I want? Yeah, you bet. Would I take that benefit in exchange for having to go pay, you know, $20,000 tax liability to have it? Not a chance. (laughs) I don't plan on going anywhere anyway. And therefore, vesting can actually be a really useful tool for both the employer and the employee, you know, with the right spin. So we've talked about vesting usefulness of vesting from both parties perspectives what's on the menu like what what are common vesting criteria i mean there's some easy softballs like we sell the company then it would be considered vested but i'm presuming that's on the list what what else is typically on the list what are you having conversations about as vesting criteria like how liquid or illiquid are most of these plans nowadays
1: generally speaking dave we do do recommend including some options on that vesting list that are truly or essentially a liquidity event. So to your point, sale of the company, that means you have cash available. A change in ownership, a change in control, uh, we could set a specific percentage that a sale that's less than 100% must exceed to trigger a vesting event. Meaning if we have a ownership pool, multiple owners and the founding owner as part of their succession plan has future Uh, equity owners coming into play, and they want to make sure upon their exit that those that remain that may be part of this plan, again, not necessarily owners, but those that you're sharing this award with, that they are paid out and that the founding owner has honored that promise to those employees. So establishing a change in control of the company would be another Liquidity event for that example that I've used. Another common one we see is retirement of the participant. So we'll define, of course, what retirement means because there could be a wide ray of interpretation of retirement, but really the idea is the employee is, is exiting the industry. is a uh, social security age, or we can certainly define an age if we want to say 65 years old, but the idea is that they're leaving the industry. You want to reward them and, and ultimately thank them at the end of the day for all that they've contributed to the company. And finally, I would say most commonly we see is investing being attached to death or disability So again, you have a death and disability plan, or if you don't, you absolutely should on your book (laughs) of business. But as the employee, that's essentially, again, if something were to happen to them and they're no longer involved in the business, you still want to thank either their, ultimately thank them for their contributions. And that would either go to them, their surviving spouse or estate, but ultimately pay out what they've contributed or what you feel is appropriate to what they've contributed through their time and employment with you. I said finally, but one last one here that's a little bit sooner than some of those long-term vesting events is truly establishing a period of time. So a a number of years of continuous service. This one's really going to depend on what your long-term goals are in terms of the use of these types of plans. So we're talking about these plans can be, and absolutely should be used as part of career tracking and compensation plans for those that aren't just part of your future succession plan. However, they absolutely can be a great tool for maybe those individuals that are starting out, not necessarily in your mind as future owners, but you find out quickly that they are great potential for future owners. And maybe you're someone who never thought that you would start this early, for example, planning your succession plan, but they've shown great opportunity for you and you do want to use the comp or the uh, award that's accumulated under this type of plan for them to use as cash to buy in. Therefore, if you wanted to set a shorter amount of time, for example, like we've seen eight years as a requirement, that means eight years later, are you at that point willing to revisit the opportunity? to see them as a future owner offer a buy-in, for example. And now they've accumulated essentially cash to help offset a buy-in. Um, so that would be a great use for establishing a vesting event that's just based on time uh, or, as I mentioned, continuous service. That's not necessarily one of those long-term vesting events that's, that's truly either a liquidity event for the company or a retirement instance.
0: When I love that, I heard you... Mention, I think I heard you mention the ability to let them cross over and get a seat at the big kids' table and actually become a partner. Because you know, a lot of these folks set these phantom equity plans up as part of their career paths, they're doing it with folks who they probably anticipate could be part of the succession strategy or a partner, junior partner at some point. And let's just say. It goes long enough. They've accrued the equity and it turns out they they are contributing in a meaningful way. We do want to invite them to be a partner. I've had folks I know that I've talked to at conferences that have done these plans with you in the past and they'll ask me, hey, it's gone really, really well. But now what? Like, what, what do I do with the plan now that my team members are to the point where they actually want to buy in? And, you know, the answer I want to give is, well, you should go back and read your emails with Julia or the contracts that you signed, but, you know, <laughs> put that on the shelf. So, in cases like that, where they put the plan in place, we're a couple of years later, they've accrued an equity balance. It's going really well. You're saying there is built into the plan or that it's not uncommon to let them then use that as part of a buy-in? Like, How does that typically work?
1: Yeah, definitely not uncommon. Okay. The beauty with this type of plan being a phantom equity plan is the level of discretion that you have as the employer, as the plan participant is how we'll specifically define the employer in this type of plan. But really what I'm getting at is there is full discretion being a non-qualified deferred compensation plan, meaning if there's any room for interpretation in these types of plans, you are the interpreter. If there is Any question in terms of what qualifies as, I use the example of retirement age, we certainly want to try to define those things up front. Mm -hmm. But if, if we need to make a judgment call, you are the administrator at that point that makes those judgment calls. So to answer your question, Dave, if at any point, for example, maybe you only have sale of the company and their retirement as vesting events, and you... Five years later, find yourself thinking they would make a really great next generation of ownership. I want them to buy in. The concern that they have, maybe even that you have as a business owner, is how they can afford a buy in to your business. You have the flexibility to essentially accelerate vesting, capture what they've accumulated under this plan for value. Since now, for however many years since you granted this, you've been calculating that. Now you have this. Calculation, which will be through a very comprehensive tracking model, but the idea is that you have this award that's in your toolbox. It may not be specifically written in such a way where five years later it specifically says you will offer equity ownership, but there is a wide array of discretion here that you could choose to essentially pivot, use the calculation and the work that you've done in this type of plan and now offer real equity. So offer a buy-in, capture the or calculate essentially what the value accumulated under this type of plan looks like, apply that as a discount to a buy-in, pay that out in cash, recommend that they keep that cash set aside for (laughs) a few months down the road when you want to offer buy-in. You can approach that in a handful of ways, um, and we can certainly help you as, as a business owner or advisor who might be in a position like this or considering this to figure out how to do this in the most tax effective way for you as a business owner, for the employee, of course. I know those are, those are common considerations, but really what I'm getting at is there is discretion in terms of if things change, you're not pigeonholed into a decision that you've made maybe five years ago. We can pivot and we can help you figure out how to do that
0: which again to compare and contrast then so phantom equity tons of discretion lots of flexibility on the off chance you get it i don't say wrong but you know, you've got some learning moments over the course of you know, using the plan you can easily make changes to it and again it's it's phantom equity and again to be clear when these plans are actually set up we'll be talking you know phantom equity but when the plans deployed Nobody's calling it phantom equity. I mean, that's right up there with fake equity plans. Like we've got much more useful names like the liquidation rights, stock appreciation rights. So, phantom equity, but at its core, I mean, it is phantom equity. If they leave and it has not vested, and you heard Julia talk through some of the vesting criteria, which are generally pretty far down the road, as long as we're all Fat and happy and doing well together, then no one's even going to worry about the vesting criteria. But if they lose their mind, employee leaves partway into this plan and they've accrued twenty or thirty thousand dollars worth of equity, it's phantom equity. It goes up in smoke. I mean, there's literally there are no repercussions, as opposed to the real equity as Julie was talking about. Once you let them buy in, whether it's with the phantom equity proceeds or I don't know you could give them the equity. Once they're an actual equity owner, if they leave, same example, we got to make sure we can get that back. Now again, our team can help on the entity side with the buy sell and all those provisions, but the point is when somebody's leaving, it's it's generally not like the most exciting, you know, part of the process. Even if it's amicable, no one's thrilled about it usually. So, and if you are, it's for a whole different set of reasons. So, you have to make sure to get it back. So Phantom Equity is just a really nice, easy, innocuous way to start down that path, which frankly is a good place to start bringing this home because it leads right up to the doorstep of, or frankly is part of, the other stuff you do Julia, that's frankly even more complicated, but more impactful, and then that is compensation plan design, which we can and will spend an entire podcast talking about because it is so foundational to the succession work, the value of the enterprise, attracting and retaining talent. Like it just for all of you listening as business owners, you know compensation plan design sucks, but at the same time, when you get it right, you know it because it it really drives behavior. It helps you retain people it can't replace you know a good or bad culture but it can certainly help augment those things and in my mind looking at the work that julia does in the compensation work we do the very next phase of compensation plan design is the equity sharing plan like that's it's part of that comp plan and career pathing so we'll come back to that one on another day because that really could legitimately eat up an entire podcast cuz there's a lot to talk about around legacy compensation plans in the industry, the more contemporary compensation plans that we use here, and then where the equity sharing fits into all of that. So with that, I have thoroughly enjoyed having this conversation, talking shop with you, Julia. It's the beauty of this SRG Offscript podcast is we just get to pull the curtain back and have a conversation and talk about the things that you're dealing with, working with clients that I'm hearing out at conferences and that I'm hearing from you at our team meetings So, especially around topics that are, they don't end up in the spotlight nearly often enough. You think about like, you know, we didn't talk about it today but the contingency plan, death and disability planning. Nobody wants to talk about that. It's the least exciting thing to cover. But given that the business is one of the more valuable assets you have, well, you don't necessarily plan on dying. It's still important to have it. Well, same thing on the equity sharing. Well, it's not something that a lot of folks are talking about, but they are Thinking about it, and if you're not thinking about it, if you've got good people, they probably are. So these are all things that are just going to continue to percolate, especially in our industry with practices growing, literally from practices to businesses now to quasi enterprises. This stuff is only going to become increasingly important in this the war for talent, remaining relevant in a competitive market. So I think these things are all super important to you know the growing ras that are out there. So I'm appreciate you spending time, Julia, frankly, in Q4 to chop it up with me, especially knowing that you are heading out of the office next week on a much needed vacation. So (laughs) uh, folks, if you do want to get started on this stuff, we're certainly happy to unpack this in more detail. But for now, that's a wrap. Appreciate you joining us. Happy holidays. Look forward to hearing from you soon. Thanks, Julia. Thanks, Dave. And that concludes another episode of SRG Offscript. We hope you found this episode both interesting and valuable. We encourage you to check out our website at SuccessionResource.com, or of course, connect with us on social for the latest happenings at SRG. If you just can't get enough of SRG Offscript, we invite you to join our monthly Q&A webinar, SRG Offscript Live, where we address your questions sparked by the latest podcast topic. Finally, if you enjoyed today's episode as much as we did recording it, please leave us a review and tell your industry friends about us. Your support helps us continue to bring you the best content possible. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guests and not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Succession Resource Group. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional advice. Always seek the advice of an expert with any questions you may have. As always, we at SRG stand ready to help when you're ready.